Welcome to Today on Broadway for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. And I'm Broadway AMA's Caitlin Milligan. Well, first off, I want to wish not only James and Caitlin, but everybody listening, a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow. As we'd mentioned earlier in the week, there will be no Today on Broadway tomorrow as we kind of take a little holiday respite to commune with our families and friends. However, we will have a new episode on Friday, but it won't be of Today on Broadway. It'll be a Tell Me More episode. Yesterday, I got to speak with the fabulous Tony nominee Montego Glover, who is currently starring in the Hamilton production out in Chicago, where she's playing Angelica Schuyler. We talked not only about that show and about that production, but about what it's like to be a New York actor who really hasn't been working in New York lately. If you remember earlier this year, she did the out-of-town Toronto out-of-country tryout for the new Malt Band Shire musical Suzatska for four months. Now she's out in the in the Windy City doing Hamilton. So we talked a lot about that. It was such a great conversation. She's so insightful and, and such an interesting person. So I hope you enjoyed that on Friday. Then on Saturday, James, uh, you say that we have a new episode of Jan Simpson's Stagecraft with the one and only Rajiv Joseph, who's described the night as playing at the Atlantic Theater currently off Broadway, and I think it opens uh, in the next week or so. And then Jan will be, be on Theater Talk. Jan is one of the new rotating panelists for Theater Talk on, well, I, don't, I don't know what station it is up there PBS. for y'all, uh, on whatever the PBS station is. Yeah, from CUNY, whatever. Um, so that'll be awesome to get to see uh, Jan on Theater Talk. So a lot to do over this holiday weekend, both on TV and in podcast, even if we aren't officially doing any more today on Broadway episodes this week. You know, uh, have you seen this social media thing where these stores are promoting that they're closed on Thursday? Do you know what that is? No. Yeah, the war on Thanksgiving is apparently happening. <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving is a family day. You shouldn't be out there uh, getting deals and stuff like that. That's the same thing with Broadway Radio. We don't want any to be lined up in front of uh, Broadway Radio Studios <laughs> uh, trying to get some uh, doorbuster specials and things like that. You know, uh, you know, we wait until uh, we wait until the weekend to get those out. You know, you can. Um, you can place yeah. your, your order for uh, dinner with Matt Tamanini. It's only a thousand bucks. Yes, absolutely. I will eat dinner with you if you pay me a thousand dollars. Absolutely. Well, all money goes to charity, Matt. You know, it, it doesn't oh. go to you. Okay. It, maybe maybe <laughs> you, maybe two thousand then. You get the deal. You get the dinner. You get the. the oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah, that's I'm good, good with that. All right. Now make it a Bennigan's. All right. Uh, <laughs> first up in the new. <laughs> I crack myself up. <laughs> Uh, first up in the news, Pretty Women makes its male Broadway plans official. It makes its male Broadway plans? Yeah, Pretty Women with an all-male creative team. Oh, well, yeah, that's a good point. Um, all right, folks. So first up in the news is that Pretty Woman will be walking down the street, uh, Broadway to be exact, in less than eight months, as it was announced yesterday that the new musical will begin previews at Broadway's Nederlander Theater on July 20th of 2018, with an opening night set for August 16th. The show, which, as James alluded to, features a score by Grammy-winning rocker Brian Adams and his longtime writing partner Jim Valance, and a book by the late Gary Marshall and the film's screenwriter, film screenwriter J.F. Lawton, will have an out-of-town tryout at Chicago's Oriental Theater beginning on March 13th, where it will play just five weeks before setting its sights on New York. Directed and choreographed by yet another male, uh, Tony winner Jerry Mitchell, the show boasts an incredible cast 
that is not all male, uh, but it is led by Tony and Grammy winner Steve Kazee, stage and screen star Samantha Barks, Tony nominee Orfei, Eric Anderson, Jason Danieli, and Kingsley Legs. The three months between the closing in Chicago and the start of performances on Broadway, to me, indicates that those men, the producers and creative team, feel pretty confident about the shape that the show is in, considering that they're not giving themselves a ton of time between closing down in Chicago and having to start the rehearsal tech process in New York, and the fact that it's going to be beginning performances and even opening in the summer uh, in a theater that's, as we've talked about before, kind of off the beaten path in terms of normal theater traffic. So I feel like they have to be pretty confident about the strength and the and the shape that this show is in. Um, this is just yet another show that is announced for the 2018-2019 season already, not only announced, but also has a theater attached. That is the fourth uh, new musical for that season, which is interesting because depending on how you classify some of the things for this season in terms of like uh, Springsteen and all that stuff there's only like six for this season currently there could be more still um and we've already got four new musicals for next season um but you know with a creative team like that male or otherwise and with a cast like this i I have to think that this is something that you know has everything going in the right direction for it now if i said to the two of you i got my first real strict six string bought it at the five and dime played it till my fingers bled was the summer of 69 would you know what i'm talking about Yes, James. Yeah. I would. I, seems I know like that song soul. too. You know that yeah. song. So I'm wondering if Brian Adams brings in the Broadway crowd. I love Brian Adams. I'm a huge fan. I'm looking forward to this. This is really exciting. Uh, and I misread the uh, I misread the press release because I didn't realize it was Jim Valance uh, that was writing the book. Uh, don't uh, don't don't. Oh, come on, come on. Let me. I thought it was okay, Bruce Valanche. I know. I knew that's where you were going. I knew that's where you were going. Um, Which would make it a that, very funny show. It would be a much different show, a much, much different, different take yes. on Pretty Woman. Um, yeah, uh, you know, I think obviously I'm not saying that Brian Adams is in the same stratosphere of rock star as Bruce Springsteen, but they're in a, a similar ish yeah. vibe in terms of the avenue that they tread in, in, in the popular rock music category. And I think he's, he's got a, a, a following. He's got, a, I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of songs that still transcend to this day that Brian Adams has put out, whether it's that, or uh, have you really ever loved a woman? Um, you know, he's, I don't know that I'd say he's iconic, but he's close. Mm-hmm. No, uh, I agree exactly what you're saying. I understand that. And I see uh, that this is, again, another step in the transition from the uh, the changing of the Broadway audience from the traditional, you know, 42nd Street type of uh, music to a more pop rock sentimentality that uh, – it, it is because the the baby boomers are now Broadway ticket buyers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still a predominantly white, you know, 50s and 60s, you know, demographic. It's just that white 50s and 60s in terms of age has different sensibilities and things they grew up on. It's not dissimilar from yeah. the changing from the Gilbert and Sullivan operetta type things to what we consider the more traditional, legit Rodgers and Hammerstein musical theater into the big 
power European British invasion stuff. So I mean, it's 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 all cyclical. It all changes, and everything's always moving. That's actually something I talk about with Montego Glover. You know, the theater in and of itself, whether it's a single show or just theater as an entire art form, is always changing and evolving, and that's what makes it so special and different than any other type of entertainment. And as we change, let's get some more women involved in the creative side of it. Yeah, you would you would think. Yeah. All right. Next up, review a palooza. <laughs> All right. So we have a. We bunch have, do of we have any? Um, do we have any music we can play underneath of this? While I was you do thinking the... the same thing. <laughs> I need a sounder and, a, and, a, and, yeah. a, and something to go with it. But you know, go Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Um, but yeah. So there was a bunch of shows that have opened this week, getting ready for the holidays. And rather than reading multiple reviews of each, sometimes they'll dissent from each other. What I've decided to do is give you one review from each show that kind of wraps up the critical consensus. Caitlin, James, if, if you want to jump in and talk about any of these shows, feel free, because um, otherwise it's just me talking for a long time. Um, but first up, we're going to talk about Home for the Holidays, <laughs> which you get a shiver fine with that one. Well, because we have to. It opened on Broadway. <laughs> It's we're contractually obligated. <laughs> um, it opened up over. We're not going to have contracts. But um, anyway, so it, it opened up at the August Wilson Theater. And we've talked about it before. Candace Glover, Josh Kaufman, Bianca Ryan. And we'll talk about everybody else here. But Adam Feldman of Time Out in New York, he gave the show a fairly generous two out of five stars, writing, quote, Please be advised that Home for the Holidays contains haze effects, warns a sign at the August Wilson Theater. And boy, does it ever first there is the hazy concept this tacky pop-up <laughs> broadway concert the yuletide equivalent of a halloween costume store features a comically motley cast candace glover josh kaufman and bianca ryan three winners of televised vocal contests caitlin bristow one of two bachelorettes on season 11 of the bachelorette peter and yuvine hollands a married acapella duo and summing up my thoughts here, and somehow veteran character actor Danny Aiello. Then there is the hazy singing, breathy, baroquely melismatic ornamentations, as though the vocalists were skating on thin ice and afraid to stay on a single note for more than a quarter of a second. Now, guys, believe it or not, that's the most positive of the reviews I could find. If you want some others, Elizabeth Vincitelli of uh, writing for The New York Times, Frank Sheck. You, you can tell how much the people were interested in this if they brought in Elizabeth Vincitelli uh, to write the review for New York Times. Um, <laughs> wouldn't even give it to you know Jesse and Ben didn't want it. Um, and then Frank Sheck of The Hollywood Reporter. It's it's not good. I mean, it's just not, which is fine. So uh, moving on. Um, OK, so. <laughs> Out on the left coast, um, where presumably the Broadway-bound summer, the Donna Summer musical, opened at the La Jolla Playhouse earlier this week. And though Charles McNulty of the L.A. Times, as he is often wont to do, reigns on the parade, otherwise the reviews for this one are, are fairly positive. Deborah Wilker, writing for The Hollywood Reporter, said, quote, In writer-director Des McEnough's summer, the Donna Summer musical, it's her mistreatment that's hammered home. Men abuse, managers steal, cancer comes calling, but worst of all, her art is derided. This storytelling of Summer's life not only examines an ebullient era in music, but aims to give the trailblazing songstress her rightful place in pop culture. But this show moves almost too fast. Despite its missteps, there is still so much to like about the Donna Summer musical, particularly the three women portraying the title character in different phases of her life. Broadway veteran Lashans is a marvel as the assured rafters-raising diva Donna. 
Ariana DeBose is both nervy and vulnerable as anguished midlife disco Donna and young Storm Lever, a real find as a scene stealer as duckling Donna. Moments when the three sing together produce all the requisite chills. Uh, as I said before, there's already four new musicals slated for the 2018-2019 season. Uh, James Caitlin, I would be shocked if this one isn't either in the mix for 2018-2019 or if it doesn't find a way to sneak into the back half of our current season. Hmm. I uh, totally agree with you there. Um, the, the buzz around town is very positive on this. All right. So now let's go off Broadway where Sarah DeLapp's oft revived critically acclaimed girls soccer play. The wolves opened at Lincoln center earlier this week. Sarah Holdren from New York magazine said, quote, DeLapp has spoken about her childhood affection for war movies and how with the wolves, she was interested in writing a play in which the warriors were teenage girls, a story for we few, we happy few, we band of sisters, her intention to portray, girls as nuanced, very idiosyncratic people and as powerful athletes, not as girlfriends or sex objects or manic pixie dream girls, shines through in her well-observed characters and in the marvelous actors bringing them life. The young cast is superb all around, and though it feels callous to mention just a few, I'm still thinking about Susanna Perkins's furrowed brow and thoughtful stare as number 11. The deceptive cheeriness of Midori Francis as number eight. Tedra Milan's hunched shoulders and excruciating sense of social timing as number 46. And Brina Coates' all-too-recognizable cool girl, a powerful performance in its initial unlikability and ultimate sympathy. Now, true story, guys, when I was planning my recent New York trip for earlier this month, I tried to get tickets to see the Wolves probably in early to mid-October, and they were already sold out for the days that I was able to go. So if there's anybody out there who wants to see it, I would start looking for tickets ASAP because even though this one, you know, is pretty much running through the end of the year, um, it's very much in demand. So, uh, you know, it's already been done. I think I think this is technically like the third time. I think the first one was closed and then reopened. So this is like the second or third time this has been off Broadway. So I don't know if it'll have another New York run. Um, but if you want to see it, I would I would get tickets sooner rather than later. It's playing in a small space, uh, so it, it's uh, a really hard ticket to get. Uh, Jan Simpson uh, interviewed Sarah Jalap on, on uh, Stagecraft podcast on Broadway Radio uh, uh, last week or so. Week. Great interview uh, that talks about the history of the Wolves as well, so uh, take a listen to that. Yep. All right. And finally, we land to, or damn it. I had that was such a great line and I screwed it up. Oh, well, finally, we <laughs> head to the land down under. Damn it, Matt. Uh, that's what we get when we record early in the morning. But we head to a land down under <laughs> as the Sydney Theater Company premieres the musical adaptation of the hit indie film Muriel's Wedding. Screenwriter PJ Hogan has written the book and the show features original music by Kate Miller Hideki and Keir Nuttall alongside ABBA songs featured in the film. Just what we need, another ABBA musical. Oh. And if <laughs> thank you, thank you, Caitlin. Um, if I'm the reviews sorry. are no, nothing wrong with that. You can sigh at ABBA all you want. Um, but if the ABBA. reviews are what? It's not them. It's just like you said again. Why? Well, well we've got this. Um, we've got 
Mamma Mia. Then we have Mamma Mia. Here we go again. <laughs> then we've got Chess potentially coming back, which is written by two of the guys from ABBA. Then there's what Christine that who knows if that ever comes to Broadway. <laughs> there's just a lot of ABBA going around. But anyway, if the reviews are any indication or the fact that I got a press release about the reviews from a major Broadway press firm earlier this week, I think we might be hearing more about this show in the fairly near future. Uh, the review that I picked out for this one is fairly short. It's from Jason Blake from the Sydney Morning Herald. He said, quote, Muriel's wedding feels like the complete package, a beloved film seamlessly updated, a central character who retains all the ambiguities that made you root for her in the first place, a conspicuously inventive score peppered with classic pop hits and a main stage debut that will be talked about for years. That main stage debut is Maggie McKenna as Muriel. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, these are just a few of all the reviews for these shows. So if you would like to read more, head over to the show notes at broadwayradio.com. But with the exception of Home for the Holidays, I feel like we should like that should be the show that we don't mention or something, you know, like the name that doesn't mm. get spoken. <laughs> but other than that one, the reviews for all of these shows are pretty positive, And that's a good way to head into a holiday weekend. So let's talk about the um, Muriel's Wedding for a second. So the producers of Muriel's Wedding, uh, Global Creatures is the uh, <laughs> name of the producing group. Uh, they yes. uh, they are familiar to um, yes, to they are Am Americans. Uh, because they have done such shows as Walking with Dragons, The Arena Spectacular, and How to Train Your Dragon Live, Spectacular. Um, spectacular. So, <laughs> spectacular. I mean, I, I shouldn't totally uh, abuse them because they did produce War Horse. War Horse. War. <laughs> I, why do I have a problem saying that name? War Horse. It's like the yeah. rural juror. Brilliant <laughs> Italian William. Brilliant Italian William. All right. So, uh, but they have, well, uh, have. Yeah. Talk about what they have coming up. They have coming up King Kong. They have Moulin Rouge, the musical, Strictly Ballroom, the musical, as well as uh, Muriel's Wedding, the musical, uh, which opened to rave reviews in Sydney, Australia. Says the You're reading release. the press release. Aren't yes, you? I, am. I am reading the press release. So, uh, but strictly ballroom. I mean, this is very aggressive development of uh, yeah. of very commercial brands. Uh, and if it's, I mean, walking with dinosaurs. I did see that the arena spectacular uh, took a young Justin, uh, a few years ago to see it in his dinosaur phase. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it is, uh, spectacular. Yes. Spectacular is the proper way to the Barclays center in Brooklyn was spectacular as dinosaurs were walking. So it was true to the title there. So, um, uh, We'll have to see what uh, these things are. I'm hoping, you know, I, I was I was encouraged that I saw I saw that they also produce War Horse, um, yeah. uh, so well, that these things sh should be good. Uh, I mean, King Kong might be in between, you know, a Broadway show and a Walking with spectacle. Dinosaurs spectacular. You know, yeah. could be. Well, I mean, what, it, what's interesting about it is is that all four of these more legit properties that you mentioned have. Australian roots. I mean, that's obviously where they're from. Muriel's Wedding was an Australian comedy. Um, and then you have King Kong that has had its multiple tryout performances 
in Australia. And then Moulin Rouge and Strictly Ballroom, I think it was Strictly Ballroom. Those are both movies based on movies from Baz Luhrmann, who is obviously one of the great Australian filmmakers. So obviously they this is an Australian company with a base there. And, you know, we often hear about what great arts there are in Australia, but we're literally on the other side of the world. So we don't hear about it. So I think it's good. It's interesting that we have a company bringing Australian properties to the U S and to London, um, you know, so that we can kind of get infused with a little bit of a different artistic sensibility. Yeah. I mean, uh, Australians are great at exporting good media. I mean, Rupert Murdoch has done a world of difference here in America. Stop it. Why? Come on, man. (laughs) It's a holiday weekend. So if I said to you guys, do you know who Corky St. Clair is? Would you know? No. Yes, of course. Yes. So yeah, uh, Waiting Cor- for Guffman. Corky St. Clair was the, um, the man with a vision in Waiting for Guffman. Uh, and so perhaps in this next story brought, us, brought to us by Mark Hirschberg over at Forbes, is there a Corky St. Clair somewhere in China that is bringing this open-ended first Chinese musical to Broadway? And, and and a music a Chinese musical about Jews, nonetheless. But yes, um, the first open-ended Chinese musical may be headed to Broadway, according to a new article in Forbes by our friend Mark Hirschberg. The site reports that theatrical firm and oh boy, uh, I'm invoking the uh, Maximu pronunciation apology <laughs> rule here. Um, Shanghai Hingyan Zhang Drama Development Company has inked a memorandum of understanding with Nederlander World Entertainment, which, just to be clear, apparently is not part of Broadway. Nederlander organization, um, but they're going to bring the first open-ended Chinese musical to Broadway performance is set to begin in 2019, just whenever. Um, titled Shimmer, a story of the Jews of Shanghai. <laughs> which, I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm 2019, not is kidding. that the year of the musical? So is that the Chinese <laughs> the calendar? <laughs> That's vaguely racist, James. Um, The show is a musical (laughs) presentation based on the history of how the Chinese people provided refuge to over 25,000 European Jews who fled Nazi oppression and found haven in Shanghai during World War II. According to press notes, quote, in the same vein as Broadway's come from away, the musical will demonstrate the therapeutic power of human kindness during dark times. Look, if I'm going to praise Australian exports, I have I have to be yep. open minded about Chinese exports. Um, it's interesting that they say the first open ended Chinese musical. Am I forgetting a limited run Chinese musical? Uh, there was something in that Forbes article about another Chinese musical that was on Broadway. It was in the was Her- Hirschberg article. Uh, I can't recall it off the top of my head, but uh, I feel as though that um, the folks who are producing this or writing this did not look at the commercial success of Allegiance when uh, talking about uh, wartime oppression to certain groups, movie uh, music. And the therapeutic power of human kindness during dark times. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So – the New York Times gives us a how-to-do Broadway guide. Yeah, this is just real quick. It's a recommendation I've got for you. As If you're one of the out-of-town folks like me who's getting ready to come into the city for the holidays, Laura Collins-Hughes has this great, handy, very visual, interactive – not in, yeah, fairly interactive – guide to Broadway. On It has different tips about what shows to see, how to get tickets – 
where to eat, um, when to go to theaters, you know, to get there, how early you have to get, you know, when, uh, you know, how to get autographs and stuff. It's a really great thing that I think for people in our community, we would take for granted a lot of this information. But for folks who might be going into town just for a special holiday um, occasion, it's a really great resource to have. So if you need it, if you want to check it out, do so. We'll have the link at the show notes at broaderradio.com or pass it along to someone in, in your immediate circle, friends or family who might be heading into the, the greatest city in the world over the next few months. It's a great uh, interactive guide. I've uh, We had it linked on uh, Broadway Stars and it's getting a lot of traffic. So Very lots cool. of folks are checking it out. Maybe they're in town for the, uh, the parade. So uh, Matt, you had the opportunity to see um angela weber's love never dies the sequel to the phantom of the opera the north american tour yes so uh tell us about that um in the same vein as our review of palooza i'm going to keep this short first off um as we've talked about before uh, garter thor cortez is playing the phantom in this tour however he apparently has put, been put on vocal rest so um the alternate for the role bronson norris murphy has been bumped up so that's who i saw in the production last night um let me just say this first it's visually stunning i mean at at all times there is something very very interesting to be seen that being said it is one of the most melodramatic like over the top melodramatic things i've ever seen they definitely put the opera in soap opera with this one the set at times kind of looks like it could have been recycled from a big production of stephen sondheim's assassins which is kind of cool so it visually looks very good however my problem is twofold one, I loved everything about this show that didn't have to do with the Phantom, Christine, or Raul. Unfortunately, everything about this show almost has to do with the Phantom, <laughs> Christine, and Raul. Um, but um, Karen Mason, a Broadway radio friend, Karen Mason is fantastic as Madame Giri. Mary Michael Patterson, who plays her daughter Meg Giri, who actually used, was a was a Christine on Broadway with Hugh Pinero at one point. I mean, Hugh's had like. 1500 different Christines in his phantom career, uh, but she was great as Meg Giri. And then a bunch of the other kind of the freaks in the Coney Island uh, circus were, were great as well. Um, my biggest problem with this is, is that Phantom of the Opera was written, what, 30 some years ago. So you understand it has a different sensibility, but today we still are stuck with a story where these two men, Raul and the phantom feel like they own Christine. They keep calling her my Christine, giving her no agency at all to make any decisions in her own life. Now, obviously at, at one point late in the, in the show, she has to choose between the phantom and Raul, but it just feels like this forced thing. Like they're playing a game um, with her life. And it just, it just in today's day and age, especially with everything going on, it just feels really awkward and uncomfortable and unnecessary. Um, it's very opulent. It's very visually stunning. You know, the, the voices um, of the Phantom and Christine and Roll, it's one of those things where uh, with a lot of things that I think about opera, I can appreciate the talent that the, that the voices have, but the voices, those, the voice, those voices specifically don't do much for me. Um, so while I'm glad I saw it, um, especially, you know, because there were some great things and it was visually very good. This is not a show that I have, a whole lot of fondness for 
both from a musical standpoint and from a story being told standpoint. So uh, at the end of The Phantom of the Opera, doesn't she have to choose between Raoul and the Phantom there? Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. There's a lot of revision. There's a lot of revisionist history going on in Love Never Dies. So I, I don't know how much I want to spoil here, but anyway, there's they spend the first they spend the first 45 minutes of this show with exposition, either recapping Phantom or telling you what happened immediately after the end of Phantom that didn't actually happen in Phantom, so that they can set up what happens in Love Never Dies. But it's really confusing because you're like, wait. I saw Phantom. That didn't happen. What's going on? What are they talking about? There's a lot of weirdness, and it's just, I, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I don't want to, I'm trying to hem and haw around things, but they talk yeah. about something that should be dramatized, but it's not. So you're left confused as to what they're talking about if you're not specifically paying attention. And it's a very important plot point, it's the plot point. But you never see it happen. It's a very Greek style where you're just told about it rather than seeing it. They do two musicals and they don't show you the most important thing that hinges both shows together. Maybe they should have just called it Love Never Dies the Spectacular that way. <laughs> it, it was visually spectacular. <laughs> yeah, it looks exactly. great. Oh, well. There are some dinosaurs in there all good. <laughs> they're actually, actually, ironically enough, there's a dinosaur. <laughs> it's a it's a skeleton of a dinosaur but there is a yeah, dinosaur uh -huh. in the show seriously a little, th little yes. throwback there yeah there is a little there is a skeleton of a dinosaur yes oh god all right okay well uh let's uh head off into what is in the future with caitlin milligan so caitlin tell us what's happening off stage Sure. So I'm here today on Wednesday because of this lovely holiday weekend to have a Thanksgiving edition of Off the Stage. First, I'm going to talk about um, everyone's favorite part of the parades, which are the Broadway performances, of course. And during the 91st annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC, the casts of Broadway's Anastasia, Dear Evan Hansen, Once on This Island, and SpongeBob SquarePants the Musical... And the Rockettes, of course, will be performing, um, which the show, the NBC show is 9 a.m. to noon in all time zones. And uh, definitely excited to watch that. I'm definitely looking forward to um, seeing what the SpongeBob SquarePants musical is going to look like, sound like. I as someone who is, like, cautiously optimistic, I guess. You're in the age range for SpongeBob. James and I, I mean, James has kids, so maybe he's more attuned to it than I am. But you're in the age range for a SpongeBob demographic, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, I like was in love with it when I was 10. It's weird to say huh? SpongeBob the musical. <laughs> well, I, I said I've mentioned it before. Our friend Robbie Rizel saw a preview and raved about it like he was effusive on social media and oh. he doesn't do that very often so much so that he bought a second ticket at wow. intermission the first time he was there and he went last night so he's seen spongebob twice in three weeks and this is a guy who tends to keep his theatrical feelings to himself because he works in the industry but he loves spongebob so well, I, if it's good enough for robbie it's i mean it, it's got to have something going for it yeah so i guess i'll have to Give it a chance on the parade and maybe buy myself a ticket. But uh, 
Yeah. So uh, and then on CBS is Thanksgiving Day Parade, which is 9 a.m. Eastern time and then other times accordingly. Um, they have performances of Come From Away and Waitress with uh, Jason Mraz. So that's exciting to see. Um, I've heard good things about his performance in Waitress. So I'm looking forward to seeing him on Thanksgiving. And going off of your guide to Broadway from the, you know, that article, there are actually a few shows that aren't going dark this Thanksgiving compared to the majority of shows which give their cast, you know, that day off. Um, Cats, Chicago, Latin History for Morons, Phantom of the Opera, and Waitress will all have evening performances on Thanksgiving. So if you're, you know, done with your turkey and your pumpkin pie and you don't pass out like I do, uh, there's something that you guys <laughs> in New York City can go see on Thanksgiving night. You know, theater is always great, even on Thanksgiving. And then on Monday, the 27th, the cast of Bandstand reunites at Birdland NYC for the Donnie Nova Band featuring Julia Trojan, starring Corey Cott, Laura Osnes, and the rest of the Bandstand cast. The show is at 7 p.m. with doors at 5 p.m. I'm very disappointed that I didn't hear about this soon enough to get tickets because I saw Bandstand actually the first night I moved to New York and I loved it and I would love to see them reunite at Birdland. So that's definitely going to be a great show. Also on Monday is Broadway, Monday the 27th, is Broadway's future songbook series presented by the Arts and Artists of Tomorrow. It's in the Bruner... Bruno Walter Auditorium at the New York Public Library for the Performing Arts at Lincoln Center. The show is produced and hosted by John. Oh, I'm going to invoke that rule where I can't pronounce a name because I didn't notice Feel free. this one. Feel free. Zidnerasic. And that's probably the best I could have done, honestly. <laughs> I'm usually really bad at on the spot names, and I think I did OK on that one. Yeah. And it will spotlight the songs of Henry Nettleton and Jake Chapman. The real singers will include Sidney Shepard, Brian Flores, Gabrielle McClinton, and more. The show is at 6 p.m. and admission is free. Going back to our Phantom of the Opera talk, the current Phantom of the Opera, James Barber, is spending his night off on the 27th at the Red Carpet Hospitality Gala in Manhattan, which is hosted by the Hotel Association of New York where they're honoring the Broadway League and its president, Charlotte, Charlotte St. Martin. And the celebration is being held at the Sheridan in Times Square. And the, a portion of the proceeds of the gala are going to the HNYC Scholarship Fund. Uh, Barbara is performing the song, The Music of the Night. And so that will definitely be a great performance. And the event will begin at 6 p.m. And then on Wednesday, November 29th, is a performance of Woman of the Year, the 1981 Candor and Ebb musical that won four Tony Awards, including Best Book and Best School. The concert, which is at 54 Below, has a special twist. Each song will be performed by a different star, including Alice Ripley, Dee Hottie, Christine Petty, and Barbara Walsh. That's all for this week's edition of Off the Stage. I'll be back next Friday to tell you what's happening off of the Broadway stage. All right. So uh, we've run a little bit long today, but mm. that's good because we don't have a show tomorrow. So listen to it. Half of it today, half of it tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but maybe they should but listen, listen to, to the first listen half. To the, yeah, listen to Caitlin's. Need to so listen to, listen the, to the end half. first. Listen to yeah, the end first. I mean. and then, <laughs> but we're saying this at the end, so 
boy. We're we screwed. Should, yeah, we're totally. We're not. So <laughs> listen to it twice. Listen to it today and listen to it tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah. And then listen to uh, Matt's uh, Tell Me More on Friday, and listen to Jan Simpson on Saturday, and listen to The Return of Peter Felicia on This Week on Broadway on Sunday, and Matt and I will be back on Monday. Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. Thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio, and you can find me on Twitter at Matt and subscribe to something like Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And Caitlin, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at, at Kate Milligan. And we're going to find you at home this weekend. You're going to yes. be traveling. <laughs> I'm going traveling to Florida. Back. Bring your laundry back to mom. Mom misses your laundry. <laughs> I'm flying spirit. I'm barely bringing anything back oh, to mom. Oh, we probably are great. <laughs> You're flying spirit. Thoughts and prayers. Thank so, you. So, yeah. Oof. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com <laughs> and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for... It's Wednesday, but wrapping up your week with us. Everybody have a great holiday. For those of you who are international listeners, we're sorry we're so U.S.-centric. We know that you don't have off tomorrow and you don't have Thanksgiving tomorrow, but our thoughts and prayers are with you, too. And, hashtag uh, thoughts and prayers. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. And we will talk to you, I guess, Matt and I will talk to you on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.